We ready to study God's Word and start a new message series. I trust uh, you'll be with us through the summer. I know people will be slipping in and out and catching that much needed summer break and we all need it. Um, but uh, you'll be faithful when you're here in town because I think God has some things He'd really like to uh, input into our lives if we'll listen to what He has to say. God doesn't take the summer off, by the way. Amen. He never sleeps nor slumbers, the Scripture says, which means there is no vacation for God. That's really good. That's a good word right there. I'm glad that when I need Him, He's not two weeks off and i am got to wait for Him to show up. So, praise God for that. Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Ezekiel. I want everyone to say together on the count of three, Amen. One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. Now let's try praise the Lord. One, two, three. Let's try praise God. One, two, three. Hallelujah. One, two, three. Louder. All right. I'm just getting us out of our lethargy here. Come on. I need you to help preach. I preach better when you get an amen or two. If you don't amen me, this thing could go long. I'll have to do my own amen. Yeah, I hear that now. All right, we're going to start a new teaching series, as was mentioned last week. I entitled it Saturation. Saturation, what our nation and lives really need. And that may not make sense to you now, but I will assure you it will probably after this morning. If not, stick with me through the summer and it will become abundantly plain. Are you finding Ezekiel? Ezekiel 37, I'm going to read the vision that Ezekiel had here in just a moment. You know, I believe that nations, America being the one we live in, are simply reflections of what's going on in the lives of individual people and families. You you can't be concerned about America without being concerned with what goes on in individual people's lives and and family lives. And if all that is true, and I believe it is, then it takes no profit to tell you that as a nation, I believe that we are living on, on the brink of a great disaster. We are living next to a cliff that I believe can yet be averted if we'll hear what God's wanting to say to us. Now, really my purpose is not going to be to convince you of the impending crash. If if you're just awake and watching any media, that is just self-evident. I want to spend our time together these next weeks and begin to share with you what I believe to be the only answer in people's lives and in our nation's future. And I've chosen to do it over this this summer period during the 4th of July when I usually talk about our nation's heritage. Those of you that have been with me for years now, you know that I I spent a lot of time talking about our national heritage. And we talk about the foundations of this country. And all of that is true, and many of you know that, and most of you, I suspect, believe that. But we've reached the place where it's not going to help us just understanding what our foundations were. We've got to get some solutions here and now and in a hurry. In a hurry. Because I'm telling you, we're seeing earthquakes, tsunamis, forest fires, war, oil spills, 
tornadoes, floods, hurricanes, terrorism, our national debt. We have come to the place, folks, where we are are facing issues and a conglomeration of issues that that as a nation, I'm not sure we're going to be able to navigate through unless we get some wisdom from another place and we're getting it currently. I understand that we've put in charge people that have Nobel Prizes, Pulitzer Prizes, Oscar winners, as if that'll help. We have Harvard-trained lawyers, Yale lawyers. We have the best and brightest minds on our nation's challenges, and we are coming up empty. And I am personally convinced that we have exhausted the wisdom of men. And can I just share this with you? Because there's nobody, I'm theologically conservative, which tends to make me more politically conservative. But I'll just say it out loud. I don't believe switching parties is going to fix a whole lot. We need something from another realm. We, we, we just don't need this party or that party. We need something from another realm to show up. Or maybe it would be better said, we need someone from another realm to show up. And so we're going to talk this summer about saturation. Now, saturation really is the concept of revival. Now, now I'm going to take some time with this because I know most of you have heard the word revival. There are, I'm sure, some, some images, some baggage that comes with the concept of revival. But I, I just want to take some time with it because... This is going to have to become intensely practical if we're going to embrace this concept. I'm a great believer that you'll never see anything happen in your life. You'll never see anything happen in the world. And you'll never see anything happen in the church unless we first begin to speak it and to declare it. God spoke and then it happened. The Bible says that He spoke and creation takes place. I believe that nothing will happen in your life until you change the way you talk. That God has linked His purposes to your mouth and until you learn to speak and declare certain things before you ever see it with your eyes, it will never come to pass. And I'm a great believer in this that even in church pulpits, pastors have got to begin to speak those things that be not as though they were. We've got to begin to speak some things and declare some things in order to begin to see them begin to manifest. And... And these have been challenging days in our nation's history. And you don't need me just speaking statistics. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for awareness and for you to become aware of what's going on. But come on now, do you need more statistics to prove to you that we are heading down a cliff in a hurry? You don't need me establishing the fact that we're in trouble. We've got to begin to start speaking and believing and understanding the concept of revival, which is God's presence showing up. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know what people could say. They'll say, Pastor, Pastor, whoa, 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 whoa. I I don't disagree with you. I, I know. I know that this is important. It's in the Bible. I know that. But but I'm, I, if you just listen to me, Pastor, you don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what I'm confronted with. I mean, I got bills. I'm going to leave church today and I'm going to go home and I'm going to see these bills on my kitchen table. And I don't even know how I'm going to pay these bills. 
I've lost my job and I don't even know what I'm going to do for a job and I'm hunting down a job and I don't know what I'm going to do about this job. And pastor, you don't know my marriage is struggling and I know, I know, I know revival is important, but I'm trying to keep my marriage together. I'm trying to raise my kids. You know, I'm getting stressed at work. I'm trying to find a new career. I'm trying, hey, ladies, I'm trying to find a spouse. I'm trying to get these sales closed and I'm, 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 I'm losing sales and commissions. And can I just say to you right now that all of us have come here this morning and we've got practical issues going on in our life. That we would say, I need God's help in these things. And so, Pastor, I can appreciate, I can appreciate you wanting me to focus in on this because I know it's in the Bible and we ought to talk about it. And I know it's a really revival. I mean, that's a super spiritual topic. And boy, we need to talk about super spiritual things in church. But, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. It just doesn't seem real relevant to me at where I am at this moment. You see, I found through the years that Christians don't pray for revival or expect revival because by and large, they don't even know why it's important for them. I mean, whether we like it or not, the church tends to have this perspective of what's in it for me. I mean, I don't mind you talking about it, but I kind of want to know what's in it for me. And so to, to talk about this subject and to invite people to join you to cry out for revival is sort of like inviting you to come vacation with me on Saturn. Because you, you hear that, and the idea kind of is, well, I don't know. It sort of leaves us ambivalent. We, we don't know if a vacation on Saturn is really all that attractive. To convince me, you're going to have to demonstrate to me that Saturn is the most wonderful place anyone could vacation. And that it far exceeds what I could possibly experience at a Disney World or at the beach. I mean, if you're calling me to come vacation with you on Saturn, then 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 somehow or another, I, I need to know that this is better than a theme park and 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 a, and a big city or a shopping trip or whatever it is. And if you can convince me of that, Pastor, I'll sign up. But right now, it just doesn't seem like it fits into what's going on in my life. And can I just say that if you'll stick with me this summer and you'll listen and really just purpose yourself to be taught that I believe God will show you some things about where you're at and what's going on and everything you're going to walk out those glass doors and face this week would be solved instantly if you were saturated in his presence. You don't think it has anything to do with where you're at. And I'm telling you, it's got everything to do with where you're at. You think it's just something that's relegated to a Sunday. I'm telling you, if you get his presence here, tangible, I'm telling you, things find their place. I believe it could be the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to you. And so I want to read from Ezekiel here in Ezekiel 37. Are you there? Come on, I want, I want to talk to you this morning as we get this whole thing started. I entitled it, A Miracle in a Graveyard. A Miracle in a Graveyard. In Ezekiel 37, beginning with verse 1, listen to this. It's great imagery here. It says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, meaning Ezekiel, brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. 
Let me just say the reason Ezekiel answered that way is because he's saying, Lord, if you're asking me, they look real dead to me. I mean, it doesn't look like anything good can come from this graveyard. So if you're asking me, I'd have to say no, but the prophet's smart enough to know who he's talking with. So he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Now, that's a great verse because that's what I'm doing to you this morning. So you've got to start speaking some things. Before bones move, you've got to speak to them. Before dead things move, you've got to talk to them. If there's death in your marriage, you've got to talk to it. See, I'm getting revelation. If there's death in your household, you've got to talk to it. If there's death in your job situation, you've got to start talking to some things. Some of you are thinking a lot, but you're not talking nearly as much as you need to, to speak. Speak those things. Prophesy to the bones, say, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord and the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. That's good news. I'll put sinews on you, bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you and you shall live. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, he says, I'm speaking as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. Whenever you begin to speak God's word, things get noisy. The bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and flesh came upon them and the skin covered over them. It sounds good, doesn't it? But here he says the key words, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet. And this is how it says in my scriptures an exceedingly great army. An exceedingly great army, a miracle in a graveyard. Now, as you'll recall from last week, I preached to the men out of Ezekiel last week. I told you about what was going on. It was a time when everything was unraveling. The nation was on the brink of collapse. Enemies were all around Judah. But in the middle of all of what was going on, Ezekiel receives this vision of what God wanted to do. And it's called the Valley of Dry Bones. And while there are a number of interpretations that people have given about the meaning of all of these dry bones, I believe that there's some precepts here about revival that can apply to any generation when they're wanting to know what God wants to do in their midst. Now, I'm going to interpret. Let me just do a little interpretation here with you. And, and, and I'm interpreting this, but don't think that I'm an interpreter of dreams and visions. All right. Uh, through the years, people have always wanted me to interpret their dreams and visions. I'm not the interpreter of dreams and visions. Uh, my suggestion to you is, why don't you go before the Lord and, and you seek the Lord and, and maybe he'll give you some insight in that. But but this is scripture and we can bring some understanding to it. And, and we are told here that Ezekiel, by the hand of the Lord, is dropped into a valley of bones. He is dropped into a graveyard. Now, understand, it's a valley. It's not a mountaintop. I mean, I love mountaintops, don't you? Mountaintop experiences. I came back from Gainesville, Georgia, went to Forward Conference, and I got a mountaintop experience. But you know, sometimes God puts us in valleys. And when you get in the valley, it's when you've got to begin to hear from God and see. And so he's in the middle of a valley. And we are later told, and I'll read this to you here in a few minutes, that, that he's looking at these bones and God declares them to be the whole house of Israel. Now, I, when he said whole house, I certainly believe there 
is application to literal Israel. But I also believe it can be a picture of spiritual Israel, the church. And it's not a very bright picture, is it? It images to us powerlessness, disunity, hopelessness, and death. I mean, what worse picture could there be at a time when the nation is crumbling than to be put into the middle of a valley to be told this is Israel, it's the whole house of Israel, and you're standing in the middle of a graveyard. But folks, can I just suggest, does it not accurately reflect the body of Christ in America? Now don't misunderstand me. Our graveyards in America know how to market their graveyards. They know how to provide conferences to increase the size of our graveyards. We understand how to give leadership in the graveyard. But we are not an exceedingly great army full of the breath of God, are we? Come on, we're not full of life and power and authority that when we speak, we're like E.F. Hutton. People listen. Nobody listens to the church anymore. We, we are just sort of something on the sidelines. We do weddings and we do funerals and maybe we bring a little moral guidance when people are you know, open to even receiving that. I mean, we may have this little bit of influence, but when it comes to dramatic national impact, no one can tell me that the church is doing that in our society today. I find it interesting that the governors, I was told while I was away, the southern governors of the Gulf states are calling this Sunday to be a day of prayer. I find it interesting that we're slowly reaching the place with this oil crisis when we're understanding, folks, they're not going to cap this thing next month. You better get a hold of this. I don't know that they'll cap this thing at Christmas. We don't know where this is going. We're talking about we have broken plates beneath the earth that we've never broken before and we don't know what we're doing. And they're just trying to keep it from us, I believe, so we don't all panic. I'm telling you, you've got every governor around the Gulf standing up saying, maybe we ought to pray. Yeah, yeah, maybe we ought to. Maybe we ought to. Now, I'm not saying this to fear you or to depress you. But we've got to be honest in our appraisals, don't we? We've got to admit that we're making little impact on a nation who still aborts babies, still struggles with its vices, and is slowly dying before our very eyes. It's not a, it's not a bad thing to realize where, where we might be as the body of Christ. Maybe we need to take just a little bit of inventory and compare it with where God wants us to be. And then all of a sudden in this same vision, we see a word. He gets a word for the graveyard. The graveyards of America need a word. They need a sound. They need somebody speaking to it. And so this word comes and we begin to see things shuffle around in the graveyard. And, and really, that's a promising picture. I do believe that the word of God and the voice of the Lord needs to shake us and rattle us, as it says here, into an awakening. You know, praise God for all of the preaching and the teaching that goes on through our pulpits and the television and the radio and the media. Let me tell you, these things are good. I'm not I'm not in any way uh, upset with that or, or nor should we be. These are avenues by which we can get out the word of the Lord. So so can we agree that we're not short on word in America? But 
despite having word, we got no army. There's no army. There's no life. There's, there's no offensive going on. There's no breakthrough power. And then all of a sudden we see the answer. Here in this vision, it says that, that they had structure, they had form, things had come together. They were starting to take shape. But the Bible says that despite the fact that they were, that instead of being scattered bones, that the bones had come together and had taken shape, they still did not become this exceedingly great army until the Bible says that the wind blew on these bones. The wind blew on these bones. Then, when the wind came, they became the exceedingly great army. I'm, I just listen to me, folks. We can have form. We can have structure. We can be standing. We can hear the word of the Lord. We can be doing all the things that we are supposed to be doing as the church, but we'll never be the army unless the wind blows again. I'm not saying we won't be around. I'm just saying we'll never be an army unless breath comes. It's interesting in the Hebrew, you put this up there. Breath in the Hebrew comes from the word ruach. Ruach is an interesting word because it can be translated Hebrew. It could be translated spirit. It, it could be translated breath. At times it's translated wind. All of these things, if you ever read it in the scripture, like when Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, it was ruach. Uh, when, you, when you hear about the spirit of God brooding on the waters, it was ruach. When God breathed breath into Adam's nostrils, it was ruach. Ruach is taken from the Hebrew into the Greek where we get the word pneuma from. And, and those of you that are, are, are men and have pneumatic tools, you know what a pneumatic tool is. Is You can hook it up to a, to a uh, what do they call those things? The hose and compressor. That's the technical term. Compressor. Because there's air. Pressured air. It's a pneumatic tool. Pressured air goes into your pneumatic tool that makes it function at, at incredible speeds with incredible power. So ruach in the Greek New Testament turns into pneuma. And most of the time we translate pneuma spirit. When it's Holy Spirit, it's hagios pneumaticos. It's pneuma. Spirit is pneuma. Pneuma. And what's being breathed here on these bones is not just God going, but God is loosing His Spirit. When the wind blows, God is loosing His Spirit that blows on these bones. And when the Spirit blows on these bones, that's when they arise and they become this exceedingly great army. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that God can't use a Presbyterian, a Methodist, an Episcopalian. I'm not saying He can't use a Baptist or, or Independence or seeker sensitives or whatever they are. He can use anybody anytime He wants. But listen to me. He'll only raise an army up with those who are willing to let breath come upon them. I don't know that you can label that just under Pentecostal because there are sometimes Pentecostals who despite believing in Pentecost, when they feel the wind, they say, we'll just take the graveyard. But I'm telling you, what our nation now needs is not graveyards. It needs an army. So, so that brings us to revival. What is revival? Now, I grew up those of you who've heard all these stories, those of you who've been with me for years, you've heard all pastor stories. And you can look at your neighbor and go, I've heard this story. So You're going to hear it again. I grew up in a denomination that, that came out of a movement at the turn of the 19th to the 20th centuries. It was called the American Holiness Movement. 
And out of that movement, there was a great revival that took place during that time. And God did a great thing in re real revival. But what happened through the years was that, that they took the, the nomenclature of revival and instead of seeking God in reality, calling out for His breath to come upon them again, what they did was they organized it, calendared it, and, and they began to develop these times on the church calendar when they would hold a revival. Now, those of you, some of you may have grown up in churches like that where, where there was maybe a, a, a weekend revival. There was a youth revival. They might have had a, a time over two different weeks during the year where they'd hold revival. We used to have revival. We, we calendared. We had revival two times every year. Isn't that amazing? Revival two, two, and we always knew what week it was coming. Anybody grow up in a church like that? You had a revival, you know, and you just, you know, yeah, not a lot of you. Good. You don't come with that baggage. But that's what we were. So when we thought, when we heard revival, man, we always heard it with the, with the sense of, oh, okay, there's a special speaker coming in. We're going to maybe have a special singer coming in. We're going to have services every night, which I don't know if I like that so much, but, you know, we'd see people maybe one to the Lord, but it kind of stir up the church, give the church a shot in the arm. And I'm not saying those things did not have their place. I'm just simply saying that's what we defined revival. But unfortunately, that is not revival. That's not revival. Revival is not calendared. It is not hype. It is not excitement. It's not some energy that you can just generate. You see, folks, we can't cry out for something unless we really know what, we, what we're crying out for. Are you following me? You see, you can't get your situation changed if you don't know what it is you need to cry out for. Listen to me. Listen to me. And, and, and we love people. And, and I love people. But if coming to church and if lights and if contemporary music and preaching some counseling messages from the pulpit would help America, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now. I'm just, I'm just willing to say maybe the emperor doesn't have his clothes on. That's all I'm suggesting. I'm, suge I'm not saying anything we're doing is wrong. I'm not saying it isn't reaching people. I'm not, I'm not, really, I'm, I'm just saying if we think that's going to change a nation, then we may need to take a step back and just reevaluate some things. Now, I'm going to give you some definitions on the screen. If you can write them out in a hurry, that's great. But I just want to share with you what people have tried to do by defining what revival is. All right. This is a, there's a historian by the name of James Buchanan, and this is what he said. He said that revival is the imparting of life to those who are dead and the imparting of health to those who are dying. OK, I don't know that I disagree with that. I think. That certainly could be a great definition for revival. The imparting of life to those who are dead and the imparting of health to those who are dying. What's the next one, guys? Go to the next one. Now, Jonathan Edwards. Some of you know Jonathan Edwards or have heard the name. He is the personality that many people associate with the first great awakening that took place here in America, along with Whitfield. They... Uh, they were certainly two important characters with regards to this. And Jonathan Edwards, when he was asked what revival was, he said it was God's major means of extending his kingdom. Okay, I, I could buy that. All right, what's the next one, guys? Edwin Orr. Edwin Orr is another 
historian slash theologian, he says a movement. Revival is a movement of the Holy Spirit bringing about a revival of New Testament Christianity in the church of Christ and the related the church of Christ, excuse me, and the related community. So it's a movement of the Holy Spirit bringing about a, a revival of New Testament Christianity in the church of Christ and the related community. Now, that's interesting because now all of a sudden its ramifications are beginning to spread. Is that not true? It's not just now here in these four walls, but now we're we're moving out of the four walls. Let's go to number four. What does Tozier say? Tozier is one of my favorite, favorite writers, an alliance pastor in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Tozier said that revival was that which changes the moral climate of a community. It changes the moral climate of a community. And I'm going to stop there for just a moment and say this to you. This is this is what you'll begin to find when you try to define this whole area. That as, as soon as you try to define the word revival, you instantly find yourself describing what it is. It's hard to define, but we, we, but we can begin to describe it. Which means this to me, it must be intensely practical. Now, I'll give you the best definition. This is my favorite definition that I've ever found. It came from Scotland, the Scottish revivals that took place... Uh, in the 40s from Duncan Campbell, it says this. What is revival? A community saturated with God. That's the best definition I think I can give you. A community. Everyone say community. Community saturated with God. Now that's why we've called our series Saturation. Because we're going to begin to declare, at least for a few weeks in church life, we're going to begin to declare what it is, at least that I'd really like to see. And that is, I believe, the heart of God to saturate a community with the presence of God. And it signifies something more than a sprinkle. Or a little splash. Saturation means a thorough soaking through and through. In fact, Ezekiel had another great word picture. I will not read to you all of this in Ezekiel 47. I'll just real quickly, because some of you will know it. It's his vision, remember, of the temple and, and the river that came out from the temple. And it says that as this river went out, all these interesting things were happening around the side. Trees were growing up. The nations were being healed. And he goes through these, these things as this river is flowing out of the temple. And it says that when he first got in it, it was about ankle deep. And then he, then he went a little further and it got about, you know, waist deep. And then he went a little further and it got about shoulder deep. And then it says he got to a place where he couldn't touch the bottom. He couldn't see the shorelines. He was thoroughly engulfed in this water that was being released from the temple of God that was healing the nations and doing these incredible works of life and health and healing and saving and delivering. I'm telling you folks, the heart of God is that there be a river that flows out of this mall into this region that isn't just a little sprinkle or a splash, but it is a river that engulfs, engulfs, saturates, saturates us. And, and, and we can use imagery of water or wind. I know I started talking to you about the wind, but, but all of this is imagery of the, of the Spirit of God and the presence of God 
saturating us so much that it can't be contained. It just, it just breaks out so that not only the church, but that his earth would be what he designed it to be. Now, now this is really important. Revival, listen to me, revival is not just an impactful service. I mean, I, I can sense God moving in this place this morning. I can sense already in my spirit that there are going to be people move this morning to cry out to God and say, God, I, I want to see you do this in my life. I want to see you do this in our, our city and region. And that's a good thing. And that's a needful thing. And I believe that's, that's where it all has to start. But listen to me. Revival isn't that you walk out of here and say, Woo! Wasn't June 27th an impactful service? Woo! That was good. Good word, Pastor. Good worship. Worship team, good. Everything was good, good, good. And we walk out like that's, that's a service. We're not talking about a service. We're talking about a sense of His presence. Revival isn't just that gifts show up and, and maybe pastor or somebody else has a word and we prophesy and, and, and those things are great and that may be a feature of revival, but that's not revival. It's not just people who may be slain in the spirit, although in revival, I suspect people will be overcome by the presence of God and there could be a manifestation like that of his presence. But listen to me, just because we get a body count doesn't mean that's revival. It's his presence that saturates us. That there becomes a distinguishable transformation in our lives. And in our culture. That's when revival shows up. Now, I'm going to touch on all of this because you can't pray for what you don't know. You can't pray for what you don't have a vision for. You, you, you can't intercede for that which doesn't seem practical to you yet. But can I just share this with you? People don't. Come to God. Let me tell you, this is a part of our problem. We want people to come to God because they don't like their life and they feel like they can get better counseling services from Jesus. That's not their problem. Their problem is they need to be convicted of sin and need to be redeemed from their sin and out of darkness and into light. We're not just putting new suits on old people. God wants to change the person in the suit. And revival is when we become convinced that He can transform us and he does transform us now i can tell you historically there are several things that happen almost across the board i can go back to the very beginning of the church and all through these last several thousand years i can tell you there are several things and we'll touch on these more in the days ahead but whenever real revival comes whenever the wind blows it'll give nations a social conscience you see, right now, we may be doing great things within these four walls and other churches are doing great things in their four walls, but America's crumbling. And I can tell you whether it's in England, the United Kingdom, in America, it doesn't matter where it shows up. It's interesting historically that revival prefaced the abolition of slavery in England. You know, Wilberforce was the one that he was the voice that taught how despicable slavery was in the UK. And revival prepared the hearts of the people and their callousness toward how they, uh, how they were toward other people. God used revival in order to prepare them for that national change. Revival prepared people to bring women and kids out of the minds of, of English corporations who were exploiting them. It was revival who 
who worked in people's lives and they had a greater concern for prisoners, the living conditions of the poor, turnaround of whole economies. I understand, listen to me, we do these things and it's important we do these things anyway. But you need to understand when revival comes, it's not an organization that's doing it. You don't have to schedule it. God has put His laws into our hearts to where now we, we desire this. It will give a nation a social conscience. Secondly, it increased people's personal piety. You know, it's interesting. I was reading this, didn't know it. There are 10 million work days a year that are missed in America because of drunkenness. Now, do you realize if revival came and people just became good stewards of their time? Do you understand what that would do in relation to an economy? Do you know, this was also interesting to me, and I, I realize people, you think I'm a dinosaur, but I'm just going to, you know, go ahead and confirm every suspicion you had right now. Do you know that historically, every revival, every time God moved, nobody made it happen, it just happened. It would close bars. I find that fascinating. We're trying to navigate how much we should drink, and when God sends his presence, it just shuts them down. I just find that fascinating. Historically, this isn't my opinion. This is history. Gaming places would shut down. Drug usage would fall off. Wouldn't that be wonderful if finally the drug dealers got a recession? It increases personal piety. Now listen to us right now. I'm telling you, and in these areas, can you imagine what that would do with regards to family situations and dysfunctionality? And can you imagine what the jails would all of a sudden be cleared out? Can you begin to imagine that we wouldn't be spending tens of thousands of dollars every year to keep people in prison when they weren't there because the presence of God sprung them out or kept them from? This is really practical stuff. Historically, I can tell you it mends family dysfunctions. I can statistically prove to you that when revival comes, it reduces abuse, assault, divorce, adultery, suicides. I, that, that, can you imagine? Can you imagine a solidifying of America's families? And we're saying, how are we going to do this? Let's spend a gajillion dollars on new programs after school. Let's spend a gajillion dollars on this idea and that idea and this program and that program. And we'll give it to DSS and we'll just assign new guardian ad litems and new, 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 new judges and new this. And, and we're just doing all of this. And I'm telling you, if God's presence would saturate us, it would fix it. It would fix it. But nobody believes it could be that simple. Number four, historically, it decreases community vice. A reduction in prostitution. We're, we're trying to figure out how to legalize this now. Yeah, they, they want to legalize it and tax it and regulate it so we can get more money to try to fix the marriages it's tearing apart when it happens. Can I just say, we're just chasing our butts. See, I can't believe a pastor would say that. I don't care. Something's got to awaken us. I should have said tail. Forgive me, Lord. But that was righteous indignation. I just want you to know. It'll reduce crime. It reduces thefts. 
Do you understand that when God comes in his presence, restitution takes place. People will begin to say, I need to give that back. I need to make this right. I need to, I need to take care of this on my own. You, listen, folks, I am to the place now and again. I, I, have, I have political interest in as much as it so affects all of our daily lives. But can I just say this? Nobody can legislate the heart. We can pass laws ad infinitum. And it will never fix our heart. We can try to keep people in the boundaries. We can try to lasso them, control them. We can try to believe that whether it's out of Washington or Columbia or where it's at, that somehow or another they can do something to make us, force us, get us. We can think these things and we have lost our minds. America needs a heart transplant. Doesn't need another law. God's given us his law that he said he would write on our hearts. If we would let the wind blow. We're waiting for our politicians to give us hope and change and transformation. And no politician can do it. Only God can do it and he'll start doing it when our pulpits get transformed. I'm praying right now. I'm not saying God's people aren't important and you are my concern. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying, but a lot of my time and energy is, is, is praying for pastors to let the flames of righteousness come again from their pulpits. And if someone can't take it, then we're going to keep believing for revival that they will, that God will chase them down. Because trying to keep people who really don't want it anyway in seats isn't accomplishing anything. It is time to hear again the voice of the Lord. It is time to prophesy to the bones. Speak to the bones. Prophesy to them, Ezekiel. And then they'll begin to come together and prophesy to the breath that they may come to life and become this exceedingly great army. Where do we start? Golly, where do we even start to see a miracle in a graveyard? Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 4, 17, if you have it, guys, go ahead and put it up there. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end be of those who do not obey the gospel? God says it's got to start here, folk. Our problem isn't out there yet until this one gets fixed. Now, no, 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 don't, don't, don't listen to me. I think, I think we do better than most. I really do. I think we have great people here. I think we have people that are after God. I don't think we have perfect people any more than you got a perfect pastor. I think we're imperfect, dysfunctional. Every one of us have issues at some different levels and magnitudes that we're working through. We're hurt. We're wounded. We've been betrayed. You know, we've, we could go through the whole litany of things we all have faced as a group in here. So I'm not suggesting for a moment that we've got, we've got people who are mirroring Jesus perfectly. I don't believe that for a minute. But the point being is this, is that, is that we've at least got to be honest in our evaluations. And the Bible says that it's got to start there in the house of God. God works in us so that through us, He can work in the world. That has been His method since the Abrahamic covenant when He first said to Abraham, the first covenant that was ever struck in Genesis chapter 12. God looked at Abraham and he said, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. We, you and I, are now, according to Galatians, the seed of Abraham. You and I have the same covenantal promises as Abraham 
had. And I'm telling you, God still wants to work through us in order that we could be a blessing to the nations. That's why he's got to work in us first. And unfortunately, America is a reflection of what's going on in its churches and our lack of being salt and light. Now, for those of you that keep track, by the way, if you haven't gotten on Facebook and got to Legacy, I like Legacy Church. I got up to the 21st century and I created a Facebook page for the church. And I've already posted a little quote there by Alexis de Tocqueville. And uh, you can read the whole quote. I'm not going to read the whole quote to you this morning. But de Tocqueville was a, was a, a French uh, demographer, I guess you would call him, back in about 1830. And, and, and France had gone through its own revolution. And America had gone through its revolution. And he was trying to figure out why it was that America seemed more successful, or what we would call blessed, than it was in France. Because both of us had these revolutions for liberty and independence. And when de Tocqueville came to America, he has this wonderful quote about how he was thinking it was going to be in our vast resources. Because America had such vast resources that that was the reason liberty seemed to function so much better in America. But after several years in America, what de Tocqueville said, and it's, quote, it's a quote, he says this, America was great because her pulpits were aflame with righteousness. Now, we're talking about a guy who did not come expecting that to be the answer. But he knew America's liberty and greatness was birthed because America was hearing the voice of the Lord. And he said, if America ceases to be righteous, she will cease to be great. America's pulpits have counsel in them. A lot of it is great counsel. There's encouragement in them. Great encouragement. We, we listen to how we can help our lives. We, we know how good God is. We have a lot of trendy spin off of modern TV and movies as we give a moral lesson. We are told how to grow a church. You know, you grow a church by keeping the service under an hour. Don't teach more than 30 minutes. Keep it technologically entertaining. And all of these things, folks, may have some place, but our pulpits are not aflame with righteousness and we are reaping the whirlwind in our culture. We're worried about how big we are when we're not going to have an America to even worry about it much longer. We're thinking God wants to grow these behemoths and I'm all for a big church. I would love for legacy to become large, 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 large because I cannot imagine the impact we could have because I just know how the world looks and thinks. But I'm telling you right now, God's not looking just to grow churches. He's looking to transform nations. And it doesn't take many to do that, but it does take a serious few. He wants an army. He's not looking for a theater troupe. He's looking for an army. Are you following me? He's looking for an army. He's not, he's not needing another Nashville groove. He's needing an army. He'd rather have a marine band. A spiritual marine band. That you just get all the licks right. Now, I, I love our guys here. Don't misunderstand. I love you guys. You're doing a great job. We, we are light years from when I was up here. So I love you. I appreciate you. And I know you have a heart after God. I'm just trying to make the point. That's what God's raising up. He's not trying to raise up a, a spiritual Broadway. He's raising up an army. An army. 
This is the army. When you signed up to follow Jesus, you're signing up for an army. Yes, you were. They were rugged, tough individuals. Now, I understand we don't, we don't have to do the, the, the cultural navigating of the first century like they do by walking and, and, and all the things they had to face. I realize it's the 21st century, but, but folks, we're going to have to understand that we are called to something more than just our own self-comfort. Because your own self-comfort hasn't made most of America comfortable. Ezekiel says four things, real rapid, rapid shooting, four things. Verse 11, you must recognize the need for it. You know, we rarely pursue what we feel no need of. And tragically, for most people, they see no need for spiritual things until they crash. I mean, I hate to say that, but I don't see most people until they're in a ditch. Now, I, I, I'm not setting up my counseling appointments in this statement. I'm just simply saying that, that when, when will we seek God before we're in a ditch? When will we seek God before we crash? How long will we let the fuse burn until we say to ourselves, this is fixing to blow up. I better pull that fuse out of there. Unless you, unless you feel a need for it, unfortunately, most of us won't pursue it. And, and Ezekiel comes and he sees these bones in their true state. Why is it that people are always at the courthouse when they call up pastor or on God? It's amazing how many, I imagine if you sat on a parole board, how many people come through and will tell you they found God in their prison cell. Why didn't they find God a couple of weeks before they were arrested? Because they saw no need for it. That, you know, I, I can handle life. I can navigate it. I don't care. I'm deceived. But yet I think I see everything as it is. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing. Nobody sees the need until it crashes. I'm telling you, God will let America crash in order for us to see the need. Now, I, again, I'm not soliciting fear. I'm just simply saying unless the church awakens and we call upon God and we, 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 we are able to suspend his hand for another generation. I'm telling you, America does not pull weight with God. It may throw its weight around the world as some superpower, but it isn't pulling anything with God. So we got to recognize our need for it. Verse 12, then you got to begin to desire it. The Lord says, you shall know that I'm the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. God says he desires you to, he desires to bring you into your land or your promise. Come on now, you, you have a promise, don't you? Some of you have a great promise in God. He's wanting to bring you into this. He wants to saturate your life. He's not going to impose himself on you. But in order for this to happen, we've got to desire it. We've got to pay the price, plow the ground, pray it through. Our desires have been twisted and convoluted. That's what sin does. We kill ourselves desiring wrong things. And the time has come for us to begin to desire righteous things. Number three, you got to know that God authors this. I, 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 if I could program it or bring it in, I would do it. But God is the author of real revival. It says here in verse 13, I have opened the graves. I wish I could open up your grave. This is the Lord's doing. The Lord must open up our graves. I'm just telling you, we can, we can switch presidents. We can switch political parties in power. We can do all of these things. I am more convinced of this than ever. We don't need that. We need God to open up our graves. I, I, I need the Lord 
to begin to move. And he's simply asking us, when will you turn to me? When will you turn to me? And then number four, you must see your destiny linked to it. It's interesting in verse 14. It says, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Are you getting the revelation of that? Your destiny is linked to God's saturation. You shall live and be put in your own land. God has a destiny for you. He has a purpose for you. It may not be what I do. It may be something out there in a job, in a business, in a career. There's some future that God has for you. He may have a husband. He may have a wife. He may have a better marriage. He may have a a sane household. I don't know. He has a promise. He has a land out there for you. But the only way you'll be put into your land is when the wind blows on your life. I want life. I want God type life. I want to be in my destiny. I want God's will for my life. I want his purpose. But I'm understanding that it'll never happen unless the. The spirit of God saturates me. Unless he blows across these bones. See, for the church to arise, the Holy Spirit's going to have to saturate us, folks. Now, God's done a lot of amazing things. I already, I already told you that I got some exciting news for you. God's doing lots of good things. But we can either satisfy ourselves in these little splashes of water here and there. Or we can get serious and cry out to God and say, Lord, let the dam break and let the river run. And saturate us. With your presence. Next week, I'm going to share with you. A couple of stories about revival. Lots of times revival. In fact, Alex, you can tell this to your friends. Lots of times revival started on college campuses. College campuses. And I'm going to tell a couple of stories about college campuses and when God moved and what took place. And uh, there was a time many, many years ago that, that if, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets. I, I'm not going to lie and say there aren't any regrets. And if I, if I had one that I could share with you, it's this. That when I was in college, and I'm going to tell this story in greater detail next week, but when I was in college, there was an opportunity to see God blow his spirit through our campus. And for various reasons that we'll get into, we opted out. And if there's one regret I have now being 50 years of age, is that I wish I could go back and recover that moment When we were on the brink of something that was so far beyond what we could have ever imagined, but we chose. We chose the graveyard. Can I just tell you, the graveyard has its, in people's minds, the graveyard is attractive because, you know, the graveyard's quiet. Things don't snag you in the graveyard. There's not a lot of upheaval in a graveyard. People won't irritate you in a graveyard. I mean, think about a graveyard. A graveyard's a peaceful place. It's a nice place. It's a serene place. Nobody shouting in a graveyard. Nobody, nobody manifesting in a graveyard. But can I tell you this? Everybody's dead in a graveyard. And I don't want to be with the dead. 
I, I, I'm glad this morning that really I'm not. I, I, I know of no better place to be than where I'm at right now. I'm glad for the sprinkles we get. I'm glad for the life that's here. I'm just not satisfied until God breathes on us again. Would you stand with me?